Hello and welcome to Teaching Notes, the podcast of the Music Teachers Association. My name is Patrick Johns. I'm a musician, a radio producer and a music teacher and an MTA member, of course. And I hope your terms are all going well and that you've begun to find a rhythm. No pun intended. It's been lovely over the last six weeks to see the music education world come together, hasn't it? With companies making resources free, teachers sharing ideas, resources and advice. And of course, the weekly MTA Zoom meetings, which have been very helpful indeed. I can't help but feel that we're all now starting to find our feet and are, essentially, now up and running for this term, or certainly this half term. I'm not saying we're back to normal, but I'd have thought that, you know, we've all seen the resources available, have chosen which to use, and are now using them. There are very positive reports of teachers and students really enjoying some of the new ways of learning, especially analysis classes in Key Stage 5. So in this episode, rather than give reports of meetings or list resources that have been made free, I thought we'd try to return to some normality as well. In this episode, I'll be chatting to TV presenter and leading psychologist Emma Kenny about the effects of lockdown on students' mental health and what we as teachers can do to help. MTA committee member James Manwaring will be here to give some sage advice about how to manage the transition from Key Stage 4 to 5, given the current circumstances. But first, school concerts. No, I've not gone mad. They may not be at the forefront of our minds right now as we teach remotely, but rest assured that they'll be back on our to-do list before we know it. And won't that just be the most wonderful thing? I'm sure you'd all agree that there is nothing quite like watching and hearing our young people creating music together, especially if it's the first time they've performed the piece that we know will stay with them for life. But with every concert comes admin, not least the slightly tedious job of tickets and ticket sales. Chasing payments, reminders and seat allocation on the night can be a massive headache. But no more. I've spoken to Joan Lynn via Zoom, hence the slightly crackly sound, from the company Try Booking. She's very keen to save us all hours of time and effort. I found out how. Just how. Joan, thank you for speaking to us. Firstly, can you tell me about Try Booking? What is Try Booking? What do you do? Thank you. Lovely to speak with you, Patrick, and with your listeners. So my name is Joan Lynch. I'm the managing director of Try Booking. I'm also the founder of it. So in a nutshell, Try Booking is an online booking, ticketing, registration system designed primarily for schools, although we work with other sectors too. But it was designed for schools originally, and I came across it as a parent who used it at schools in Australia, where we lived at the time. And then we approached the company. And in a nutshell, we brought it here and launched it in July 2014. And we've been working with schools up and down the country ever since. Fantastic. And what is it that you actually do? So what we do is we save lots of paperwork, time and hassle for school staff as well as for parents. So when schools put on events, and in this case, let's talk about musical concerts or musical workshops, rather than having lots of pieces of paper, going back to parents saying, would you like to come? Would you like to book? Can you email us? Um, And if there's payment involved, can you sort out cash or checks? We enable the school to easily set up a simple booking link that can be emailed or put on school websites or on social media, whatever the school chooses, and parents can simply click, book, and receive their tickets immediately, just like they would if they were booking the theatre or the cinema. This sounds almost too good to be true. You know what my next question is going to be, don't you? Which is, how much does it cost? 
Such a good question. So we were designed to keep things really simple. So if you are running a free concert at the school, which many schools do, and all you want to do is control numbers, you can use all of our features, including our seating plans for free. We only get paid when the school is getting paid. And that is because we are a cloud-based pay-as-you system. So if the school is running a concert where they want parents to pay a little ticket money for, we take a small clip of every ticket and that amount is 5% and a flat 15 pence booking fee. So let's put that into context. If the school concert tickets were five pounds, the school would pay 25p for a ticket sold, that's 5%. And the school or the parents, depending on what the school would like to do, would pay the flat 15 pence booking fee for the tickets to be able to be emailed automatically, barcodes, QR codes and everything on them. So free for all free events with a small fee for any paid for tickets. And do you cover all the, the paperwork as well, like printing the tickets and, and sending all the information to the schools? And No, not at all, because actually what happens is that all stops. The tickets are automated and the tickets can be printed off at home by the parents if they wish. But more importantly, they can also just be shown from smartphones or phones or iPads. So all the tickets will have QR codes and barcodes. And if you wanted to go as far, which some, many of our schools do, is scanning the tickets at entry, that can all be done from the parents' phones. So there's no actually no need to print tickets at all if you don't wish to. So all the school would need is a QR code reader? They don't even need that. We've got a free app that you can download from the App Store that can scan all the tickets for you. Parents love it. They can book from their phones whilst they're you know, travelling to and from work and have the tickets emailed to them immediately. So it just saves so much time. And because it's pay-as-you-use, if you're not using us, you're not paying for us. The whole point is to make it, to save a few trees around the world and to make the whole process of ticketing paper-free. But if parents wish to print off their tickets to bring with them, of course they can. And are there any special offers that you're extending to teachers during this unprecedented lockdown period? Right, so as I've mentioned already, we are free for any free event. We also have very low fees. So at this point in time, if, for example, you wanted to do free virtual lessons, you can, of course, you can set that up on Try Booking and we won't charge you anything. And that's it. We give you all of our functionality for free when you also are doing free events. Joan, this is all fantastic. I know that MTA members and listeners who are not yet MTA members are going to be clicking on trybooking.com. That's the place to find out about you. Uh, and I'm hoping you're going to have a sudden rush of business. Thank you very much, Patrick. And thank you to the MTA. That was Joan Lind. And in addition to everything you heard Joan describe there, Trybooking are also helping teachers organise virtual music lessons, payment for them and registers. Plus, they're supporting teachers in lockdown through virtual events like quizzes and curry nights, merchandise, leavers hoodies and so on, and fundraising. They can even help with events outside the UK with a couple of caveats. Do visit trybooking.co.uk to find out more. I know I definitely will be. Now, James Manwaring's name is familiar to us all through his outstanding work for the MTA, as well as his excellent blog, manwaringmusic.blog. He recently posted online, giving some great advice about how to approach the forthcoming transition for students moving up from Key Stage 3 into Key Stage 4, and from Key Stage 4 to Key Stage 5. In fact, precisely those poor souls who've been so affected by schools closing. I asked James if he'd be happy to share these thoughts with listeners to this podcast. So, here he is. One concern for a number of music teachers at the moment is transition. 
transition into both GCSE and A-level music courses. Not being in school and not working with our students means that we're not entirely sure how ready they are for the next stage in their music education. And I think this is something that we do need to consider, but I think we need to take some caution um, and tread very carefully with this topic. I blogged about this the other day because I saw a number of people talking about things that they were going to be doing online for their year 11 students to help prepare them for A-level and starting to worry about this. And do you know what? There's so much going on at the moment that I really don't think that we can be worrying too much about September. I think it should be something we consider, but I don't think it should be something that should bog us down. We need to be there for the students we're teaching at the moment, for our families and also for ourselves. We need to make sure that we're looking after our own mental health and not worrying too much about the future because things will sort themselves out. But of course, there are some things our students can be doing. And I'd like to suggest that we don't want to be giving our students too much. We don't want to be setting them essays and sending them worksheets and, and handouts because what we don't want is to have them doing the wrong thing or or misunderstanding things. And we also certainly don't want to be panicking them, maybe putting them off the course because working on something at home without a teacher there might be tricky for some students. So I think when we're thinking about transitioning to GCSE and to A-level music, there are a few things we can be thinking about. First of all, students can be listening to music, listening to lots and lots of music from different genres, different bands, different artists. It might be that we suggest just a couple of set works that they can listen to. But getting them to actually sit down and listen is a very valuable and useful task. They could be playing their instruments, spending as much time playing as possible. They could be working towards the next grade. They could be trying to spend 30 minutes playing every day. This is something that will be useful for all GCSE and A-level courses. There might be some students though that need a little bit of extra. Maybe they're playing their instrument regularly, they're listening to music. Maybe you could set them an extended writing task or just give them something to think about. It's not too much, but just something. Maybe you could set some kind of question like popular music isn't really music or music is all about sounds and silences or what is jazz? These questions might just give um, students something to think about. We can get them watching music. There is so much online, whether it be the Royal Opera House or Andrew Lloyd Webber with his Shows Must Go On. There is so much out there that students can be tuning into and can be watching. They could watch the whole of the Ring Cycle if they wanted to, although that might be something that you want to tread carefully with, particularly with Year 9 students. And of course, there's lots they can be reading. And um, there are a number of wonderful books, including The Story of Music by Howard Goodall. I guess the thing that we need to do is think about the students that we have and think about what might be best for them. And frankly, I think the best thing for them is to keep them excited about music, keep them engaged with their musical studies, keep them looking forward to taking the music course. We don't want to put them off. We don't want to do too much. And we certainly don't want to worry ourselves into the ground over the transition period. We will get there. We will sort this out in due course. We just have to wait and see what's going to happen in our schools over the coming weeks. But maybe we could suggest some things to our students. Maybe we could inspire them with some listening or, or some reading or something to watch just to keep them going and get them excited about the course. Thank you to James Manwaring there. And don't forget to investigate his excellent blog, manwaringmusic.blog. At the moment, James is posting top quality articles regularly. And I don't think I've ever read one of his blog entries without coming away inspired. So do go and have a look. And don't forget that if you'd like to contribute to a future podcast, I'd love to hear from you. Just drop me a line, media at musicteachers.org. 
And thinking of things to inspire dedicated students, I must tell you about a wonderful resource I've been introduced to recently by one of my colleagues. It's courtesy of Gresham College that has, since 1597, been providing free academic lectures within the City of London across a whole range of subjects, some mainstream and some beautifully obscure. As with many things these days, wonderfully, much of its recent archive is available to view for free online. Just go to Gresham dot ac dot uk slash watch and click on music to find over 260 hour-long lectures on topics such as the benefits of singing in a choir the jazz age clara schumann the unsung heroine of romanticism and the fisk jubilee singer's story and an intriguing title this samuel peeps the guitarist Lecturers include Jeremy Summerlee, Christopher Hogwood and Tom Service. It's an incredible resource, perhaps something to direct Key Stage 5 students to, and certainly one for teachers to binge on. Probably a bit much for Year 7. Now on to our last feature. Emma Kenny's name is one that's increasingly familiar to the British public. She's best known for her role as resident psychologist on ITV's This Morning, where she provides expert advice on a whole range of sensitive issues, and she's now recognised as one of the UK's leading TV psychological experts. I thought it would be interesting to think about the psychological aspect of lockdown and whether there are things that we should be thinking about more. Welcome to Teaching Notes, Emma Kenny. Thank you for having me. So Emma, students have been in lockdown for six weeks now and let's face it, for some initially they'll have seen this as a, a long Easter holiday. Is there a point at which the novelty for things like this wears off? I think truly that the novelty for this will have worn off very, very quickly, actually, because the thing about school holidays is you're in control of them. You're going to see your friends, you're going to hang out, you're going to go and do fun things. And also the very fact that you just have the freedom to go out of your front door and do what you like really does make holidays the best days of your life. So not having that freedom and having this completely new normal means that essentially you felt quite isolated. It's been quite confusing with the home learning. You might have anxieties about what you missing out on but more than anything you'll just be missing that normal socialization that you have day in day out with your mates so i think that it will have worn off very quickly the novelty of being off just thinking about how teachers can help students with this when we're planning lessons apart from the actual content i.e what we want the kids to learn what should we be considering from the point of view of the student's psychological uh, perspective One of the things that I think teachers are underestimated is the reaching consequences of what they do for children and young people because this idea that all children have got great homes and that kids have access to lots of the obvious things that we would like children to have just is a myth and teachers tend to be that front line. You're the ones who absolutely understand the needs of the kids that are in contact with you. So I think that very often you're the only reassuring voice that they have. You're the only person that will kind of let them know that you care for them and that what they're going through has meaning. So I think the advice that I give teachers is just to remember that power and to just do as much reassuring as you can because particularly for certain groups of children and young people right now who are vulnerable and maybe don't have the nicest experience at home, that tender word, that compassionate moment, that chance to tell somebody that actually, you know, they matter, they're the soft measurables that rarely get brought to the forefront of what teachers are there for but are very much underpinning what teachers worth are within the children's lives so that's the best advice I would have just remember that power and extend that reassurance because you might be the only adult that really really genuinely cares about that child. Are there dangers associated well maybe dangerous is the wrong word but I'll use it for now are there dangers associated with students working remotely all day? 
I think there are huge dangers with young people working remotely right now. First of all, this idea that children have an equal experience in the UK we know just isn't true. So very much at the moment there are children who don't have access to technology, there are issues with the parents that are in there around them, they have a very vulnerable experience in their life. We know that Childline are having calls going through the roof because kids are really, really struggling both on a mental health level but also on a physical protection level. So there are big worries in that respect but also just on an anxiety level, just that sense of feeling that things might not be happening in the way that they should, worrying about the future, being fearful about what's going to happen next. These are all very big questions that adults struggle with. So I think that when you're on your own, you have a huge amount of time to ruminate and worry and you're amplifying that at the moment because you've got these additional concerns about the world around you. And of course, add to that just the general pressures of having to work alone. These are all big things that huge problems as adults we have so yeah it's a massive cooking pot of problems for kids right now there's currently a lot of pressure on teachers to try to impart real meaningful learning to students who are at home because you know we don't know how long this is going to go on uh, now some of these students are going to be sitting there in pajamas they've got the mobile phone by the side a snack a drink whatever but we the teachers are still feeling this pressure that we have to make sure that they progress and tick all the boxes. Is there something that we teachers can do to lower the pressure on ourselves? For my part, one of the things that teachers absolutely need to do is recognise that the only power that they have is the power that they have over what they're doing. You can't be responsible and accountable for children who are choosing not to learn. What you can do is try to make your lessons as exciting, interesting and invigorating as possible so that they may be connected to that. But you are stuck to a syllabus and sometimes, with respect, that might not be that interesting for the child. So I think recognising that you're doing your best and you're doing enough is always the bedfellow of good psychological well-being so try to just suggest to yourself that as long as you're trying your hardest which you will be under these unprecedented circumstances then you're doing enough and most importantly just remember that experience is completely global right now so you won't be alone in those circumstances and maybe make sure that you're doing those reaching out exercises because I think the teachers as much as you work as a unit with lots of other teachers in school it's often quite an isolating trade so to speak because you're in charge of all these children's lives and you're doing a lot of this stuff on your own so make sure that as you would when you went to the staff room have that conversation with a colleague and just unload by the water cooler do the same right now by making sure that you're in constant contact with some of those colleagues that you know just connect and get you and for the most part remember you're doing your best and that absolutely like you would say to any kid that you're teaching your best is always you're good enough and that's enough i don't know if there's an answer to this but are there any tricks any triggers that teachers can put into their lessons to maintain focus like something that really appeals to teenagers so for example what's interesting to a 43 year old music teacher may not be interesting to a 12 year old kid uh, who's you know, bored sitting being nagged by their parents so are there any little things that we know work to kind of flick the switch of teenagers the most important thing from a psychological perspective where learning is concerned is the more kinesthetic that it is, the better it is for the child or young person or teenager or young adult. So we know that. We know that kinesthetic learning, everybody learns with that. And aside from that, I guess one of the most important things with teachers is humour. And I really mean that. I think that teachers, when they allow them and their personalities to shine through and aren't afraid to just take two, three minutes out every 15 minutes, you just have a bit of a giggle with the kids, catch up with them, find out what's going on in their lives, ask them questions that are 
relatable, get them to think about things that synergize with their own experience in life. Even if you're talking about Romeo and Juliet, that doesn't mean that you can't talk about the fact that, you know, they see relationships going on around them in the world. How can they relate to that? Or characters that they've seen on television that remind them of those situations. Anything that you can bring into the real world experience is something that definitely switches on children better. But like I said, the ideal context is it's better to touch and feel something whilst you're learning. That's why music, for example, is so great because when it comes down to music lessons, then you can actually feel it, play it, hear it and create a product from it. So that's kind of the ideal. There's something practical and productive in the end of it. Yeah, I mean, that's one of the big challenges we're facing at the moment. Of course, we can't guarantee the students have instruments at home. So the whole practical side of music uh, for a lot of students is now gone. Um, and just finally, Emma, what are the dangers associated with overburdening students with excessive work, which is something that could really be happening at the moment as teachers are working remotely? A child who feels overburdened and overpressured is a child that will perform poorly because the anxiety and stress and the overwhelming feelings that it provokes means that they simply cannot give their attention to it in the way that they would wish to. It's far better to have a relaxed approach and to almost cultivate a sense within the child that what they're doing is something that you're reflecting and recognizing is good enough and then help them to build skills. So as opposed to overwhelming a child, help them to slowly achieve milestones that build the skills and then build the actual bigger goals. That's a way where a child constantly feels in an achieving zone. And I think it's really difficult. Listen, one of the things that I had the joy of doing was working in education for 15 years and I work with lots of teachers and educators. I'm the first person to see the burdens that teachers have. I know the underestimation of teachers is absolutely criminal in our society, but I do also know that the way that great teachers cultivate even the most challenged of children is something that every teacher should aim to do anyway because I mean it's life-changing when you get somebody who can help you along the way and remind you that even in the challenging times they're on your side and they see your worth so anything that can cultivate that I think those small achievable milestones makes a massive difference to kids in education. Great Emma thank you so much for your time lovely to speak to you. Lovely to speak to you too. Thank you to psychologist Emma Kenny and to our other contributors, Joan Lind and James Manwaring. And that concludes this episode of Teaching Notes, the Music Teachers Association's podcast. If you'd like to take part in a future podcast, please do email me, Patrick Johns. The address is media at musicteachers.org. I would love to hear from you. And I'm also on Facebook a great deal, so feel free to send me a private message there. If you're not yet an MTA member, please do consider joining. For just over £60 a year, you get so much. Weekly email bulletins, the MTA staff room on Facebook, regular Zoom meetings, terrific support and advice, not to mention the excellent Termini magazine ensemble, the annual conference and loads, loads more. Full information is available at musicteachers.org. Thank you for listening to Teaching Notes, the Music Teachers Association's podcast with me, Patrick Johns. Please do spread the word about this podcast. Please share it on social media. Tell your friends and colleagues about it. And of course, do get in touch to take part. And be sure to catch the next edition next week. Until then, goodbye. <laughs>